Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Strickland. I'm your host, Shwini Poo, and this is a landmark milestone episode 200 of Pod Strickland. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Prez. Is that President and Twitter? Prez. How are you doing, sir? Good. 200 episodes is a lot of episodes. We need to get our... Uh behind the scenes people to edit some air horns up into here like fucking flex because it's also like 200 episodes is like what like a thousand hours for us um oh god when you put it like that (laughs) yeah uh no look this has been fun uh it's kind of crazy that this is 200 episodes now Uh, is it all during the pandemic yeah right yeah we started we we started with the long draft yep and um yeah i mean it's it's pretty cool to see how far the pod and the website in general have grown um obviously uh you know kudos to everybody that has participated and been involved um other than alex wolf who sucks uh but you know drew Steele, andrew Steele, uh J- jb jb was uh at one point yeah jeffrey balone uh founder of nick's film school he was he was a co-host at one point, and um, he's moved yeah, on and, to greener pastures, doing yes. Mets coverage and other things. <laughs> yes, uh, and they actually have an owner now who cares, so that's good for them. Uh, and obviously, Stacy, uh, who's now my other co-host. So, thanks to everybody, uh, including the listeners, because as I will tell you very shortly, <laughs> none of this would be possible without you. Uh, before we get started. Need to announce that Strickland has a Patreon. You can subscribe to it. There's a six dollar tier that gets you access to this pod, Pod Strickland, every Friday that I do with Prez. You also get access to the Strickland mailbag, which will be undergoing some changes, but that will be with Drew and Jeremy. Furthermore, you get access to the Strickland Discord where the conversation about the Knicks and the NBA and all a variety of various things. Never stops. There's a nine dollar tier that gets you access to Strick and Roll, my solo pod, where I yell and rant and rave about the Knicks even more. You also get access to wonderful weekly articles by Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda, two of the best Knicks and NBA writers in the business. There's further tiers. There's a fifteen dollar tier, a thirty dollar tier, fifty dollar tier, and a hundred dollar tier. Those come with additional perks and benefits like merchandise discounts, listening in on pod recordings, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day. None of this would be possible without you. So if you subscribe, thank you very much. And if not, still, thank you very much. So without further ado, uh, let's get started. Uh, All right. Prez, where should we start? I guess we can start with the old Jake Fisher article that came out today. We are recording on Tuesday night. Jake Fisher uh, dropped some 
pre uh what do you want to call it pre off season intel is that fair to say yeah uh, a little bit of like you know which way the winds are blowing kind of kind of news some of it more sourced some of it differently sourced and we'll get into it there was some Knicks news in there and uh as tends to be the case with this front office um the news about the Knicks was not leaked from within the Knicks uh you know rival execs other GMs agents that's the sort of thing that we get um because it's hard to crack Leon Rose's uh wall of silence there I guess um so, yeah, I mean, I think like I think the part that a lot of people were like, "What the hell is going on?" Um, you know, uh, at this point in the NBA calendar, to move off unwanted contracts, league executives believe New York would have to trade either the number one, number eleven pick in June's draft, or promising point guard Emmanuel quickly to entice a rival team to take on any long term salary. Uh, this came that's the for... key words right there, long-term salary. So it caused a little bit of confusion. And, you know, people got some funny joke tweets off, including me. I'm people. I will not let the chance for a cheap shot pass by. So I, I was joking, like, you know, like the Knicks don't, like realistically, the Knicks, they only have, aside from the, the like R.J. Barrett, and not even R.J. Barrett technically, but like Julius is the only one signed for over three years, right? Over two years. Is yeah, right? like the only other, I think, because uh, all the other guys are, were like one were two plus ones, and the first year is gone, so they're all expiring after this next season. Yeah, I think it's it's basically the only other players that have long term contracts are all the rookie scale guys. But like, right. yeah, it's Fournier <laughs> has two years left, and then everybody else has one year basically uh right, if the right. Knicks want the, if the Knicks want it to be one year so so either long you guess I was joking on Twitter that like oh yeah some other GMs asking for Emmanuel quickly in order to move for the Knicks to move Alec Burks or Nerlens Noel or something like that um I was being facetious because obviously that would be insane um but I guess long-term deals must refer to Fournier and Julius they didn't say he didn't say by name so I mean, if you want to play the parts the words literally game, then he's almost certainly referring to Evan and Julius because if it was referring to only one player, then you would just name the player unless there was a reason to keep it anonymous. So I'm going to assume that this is other GMs trying to play a little bit of hardball with the Knicks, which is fine, and I get it. Like, you know... We've gotten mixed signals throughout the season about Julius in terms of his value. We know they talked to lots of different teams, the Pacers, the Kings, presumably, um, but probably other teams too, about Randall deals. Um, I'm sure other teams were calling about Fournier as he began to heat up late in the season, um, but he does have a couple more years on his deal. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I just think, think I think. I think Randall's like the only like the way I read this is mm-hmm. Rand. I mean, I guess you could say Fournier is long term money. I don't really if think that's the case. Yeah, long term unwanted. Like he's yeah, it's he's there. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, and then so then it's basically you're talking about Julius, and I just don't believe that. Like 
I find it very hard to believe that the Knicks have to move the number 11 pick just to take on his money. But I guess the way to interpret this, though, is that if the Knicks wanted to salary dump Julius, to literally take back no salary, that would be the price. And that actually makes that sense. That makes me. sense. I didn't think about, about it that way. That makes sense. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Un- but I also un- think that would be incredibly stupid for the Knicks to do. Yeah. They can literally just salary dump. If they even if they wanted to just salary dump somebody, they have all these expiring contracts. Just it's give not, up a bunch of seconds. Hard, to, right? Yeah, exactly. So I, I just I thought that was a very oddly worded paragraph. He also mentioned um, one thing real quick. Yep. I will say, you know, in 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 draft land, we talk about like some guys being way more valuable to some teams. I mean, I guess it's not unique to just draft conversations, but like you know, some type of role players are more way more useful for contending teams than for non-contending teams and shit like that. Um, I could kind of see Julius being like that in, in a way that it's not technically wrong to say that for at least half the league, it would take something substantial for them to acquire, like to incentivize a team to acquire Julius. But the thing is, and so like he, my point is Fisher, if, if it's a team that's like, for example, rebuilding, like, like if 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 Leon Rose calls up the Magic or calls up the Rockets and is like, "Hey, what do you, you know, what do you what do you want for fucking Julius Randall?" Of course, they're gonna say like, "Are you shitting me? We have no incentive to take him. Give us Emmanuel quickly." Like, yeah. so in in that sense, like he could talk to another executive, get that response, and it could be one hundred percent factually correct, and there would be absolutely nothing wrong with the reporting. Really, like it is what it is, because like. But the point is, it, it kind of implies that, like, it's the implication that that is a representative opinion that I don't see unless it's exactly what you talked about, a, a pure salary dump scenario. Because if fucking Portland, who's, like, desperately trying to not suck ass around Dame, right? Like, if they're desperate for talent and scoring, and, and there are way, way worse gambles than to make than acquiring Julius Randle for like bottom dollar price. And if if Portland, for example, was like, we'll only acquire Julius for the 11th pick, then that would be a pretty hard to believe. But, you know, I guess weirder shit has happened. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I, I mean, look, the entire section is kind of weird because it's like, the it, it's all framed as the Knicks going for a point guard search. And it starts by saying like Donovan Mitchell, the Knicks are unlikely to acquire Donovan Mitchell, which like no shit. Um, and I mean, one, like this other thing too is like Donovan Mitchell's not a point guard. So I don't really understand that at all. Um, also, I found it funny that they were like, there's healthy skepticism around the NBA that New York's best offer for Mitchell would trump other teams' pursuits. Such oh as my a potential God, we have package, to talk about that shit. Yeah, such as a potential package for Miami that would theoretically center around Tyler Hero plus other salary and multiple first-round picks. There's so many stupid things about this, but one of them, like, forget, even if you think Tyler Hero is going to be a star, the other salary they're talking about here is one Duncan Robinson, who is on a terrible contract and was basically deemed unplayable throughout the playoffs by Eric Spolstra. Like, I don't see how that's just kind of like thrown in there. 
Um, Hero obviously is up for an extension this offseason, so he has only one year left of being quote unquote cheap. Uh, and then kind of has them by the nuts, man. Yeah, and then the other part too is just like the multiple first round picks thing. I don't think they can trade a first until twenty twenty five. So, but they can still theoretically offer multiple firsts for sure. But like this is the Miami Heat, and those picks are almost definitely going to be twenty twenty in the twenties. Like that's just how they operate. So I don't know. The entire thing is just kind of weird to me for that. Like, and you can tell me that you don't think. Like, if you told me that you think Hero is better than RJ, I would not agree with you, but I can understand that viewpoint. Um, but, like, the Knicks just patently have a better offer. If they really wanted to put a, a deal out there for Donovan Mitchell, they just have more shit to offer that matters to teams when they're trading a star. And, um, you know, I just, I just think, like, this is annoying, though, because this is also like kind of the story that gets perpetuated when your head coach decides that he has to start Alec Burks for the entire fucking season for no apparent reason. Um, and like, I mean, that's kind of the entire my takeaway from this entire section that he wrote, because it's like all predicated on the Knicks desperately needing a point guard, which is like also funny, though, because he calls Emmanuel quickly promising point guard. In, in the same section, but like, you know, he talks about trading for Donovan Mitchell and potentially clearing space to make a run at Jalen Brunson and, you know, oh, would the Knicks trade up for Jaden Ivey? Or maybe they would target D'Angelo Russell because he could be available and they recently hired Gerson Rosas. And it's like, you know, all this stuff is, if you just read through the article, all of it is stuff that's reported by NBA sources or rival team executives. And like, that just tells me they are framing shit, which makes sense. They should do that in a way that like reflects the kind of caveman backwards rotation logic that uh, Tibbs leaned on this year. Um, Because anybody that watched the Knicks closely post all-star break would know that quickly is not just like, like, you're not going to use quickly to salary dump. You know what I mean? Like, that's just like an absurd notion um, based on his level of play. And, you know, I don't... The D-Lo thing is like, whatever. I don't know. The entire thing just really bothered me in that sense. Um, I don't question that the Knicks have considered all these options, but I really feel like the idea that they're going to trade the number 11 pick or Emmanuel quickly to salary dump somebody or that... You know, it's just, it's all like a bit much. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, it's just a very slow point in the offseason, right? Like, the finals are here. and The draft is almost here. But there's not, everybody's waiting for dominoes to fall in terms of offseason moves. And nothing's going to happen before the finals are done and before the draft, um, almost certainly. So, you know, what's a reporter to do? <laughs> like, the it is funny. I will say I also thought that, you know, Emmanuel quickly is good enough to get off of some big albatross, but not good enough to start on the fucking Knicks who you've doo-dooed this whole time. Uh, so it's it's weird. I The whole way they've 
the everybody in the media has kind of just bought the the Jalen Brunson like oh they'll just pay him like cool yeah they can offer a fifth year and offer more money and if he wants that then that's fine but if he prefers a bigger role to a fifth year then he'll leave like it's not it's not that complicated but you never hear you never really you haven't really at least heard and maybe it's because they were still recently in the playoffs but you haven't really heard anyone acknowledge that like oh like and this is the case with you've talked about this before this is the case with helio ball in general it's like the the kind of unspoken thing is nobody wants to deal with that shit some players will because guys are competitive and they like winning but like to pretend that everybody should just fall in line and just fucking spot up off of these guys and play defense and all that. Not everybody's down with that. And that's okay. Not everybody has to be down with that shit. Like, this is fucking basketball. It's still, a, you know, even though everybody's competitive and wants to win more than I want anything, really, because these guys are all psychos, like, We've all fucking played basketball, and we know there's certain kind of teams that are fun to play on and certain kind of teams that are less fun to play on. And you can win and be like, eh, that happens in real life. Like, just like you can have a good job that pays well, and you're like, eh, I don't know if this is for me. Like, it's really the same shit. Like, I mean, Kevin Durant yeah. literally left the Warriors to go to the Nets. So, like, right. you know, like, <laughs> the, it obviously happens. Yeah, so I think like the Brunson stuff is interesting just in the sense that yeah, like you're right. I mean guys want to have their own teams at times and push themselves and like you know, um it's I think it's easy from the outside looking in to be like, well, why aren't you just happy being on a really good winning team and then like they're going to pay you a bunch of money, but I mean, some of these guys, the reason they're as good as they are and the reason they're as successful as they are is because they're not wired that way, right? They're wired to want more. And I think this is like a decent segue into uh, the other part of Jake Fisher's article, which was, uh, by the way, I'm just going to throw this out there. I don't think the Knicks are going to get D'Angelo Russell, but I also don't think it would be terrible. And I also think like it kind of does stuff they have tended to like from players in terms of pull-up shooting off the dribble. Um, so we'll see. I don't know. I, I think at a, at the right price, I would not hate that, uh, especially because at his size, I think Tibbs would actually be very comfortable playing him with quickly. Uh, I have a type, and he is the type. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, full stop. <laughs> you know, one thing might be interesting to do would be to look into uh, if Utah, if there's any links between uh, his pre-draft stuff with Utah or if there was anything there, um, because obviously Perrin was still there, and so maybe there's something there. Oh, uh, with D'Lo in, in Utah? Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't even know one. where they picked in that draft, but um, yeah, anyway. Uh, all right, look, let's switch gears here, because as you're talking about uh, you know, not being happy with your role, there was some stuff about OG Ananobi uh, in, that, in that piece. That's actually the major, uh, the opening salvo was all about him not necessarily uh, being happy with his role in Toronto where, you know, they've got Scotty Barnes doing his thing and then Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet are kind of the two top two options. Um, so I don't know, like I-, I saw somebody, I think it might have been Josh Eberly that suggested like, would you trade the fourth pick for OG Ananobi? And 
I think we, me and you actually had like very different takes on this because to me, like, if I can get the fourth pick for OG and Obi, I'm not even thinking twice about it. I'm trading that motherfucker for the fourth pick. Easy. Easy. Um, I know that like you could probably tell me that his outcome is like the average outcome for a fourth overall pick. That's an upside question, right? Well, it's like, why would I, if that's the average, then that means there's a decent chance that I'm going to hit something bigger. So I'll always take the chance to hit something bigger. Um, especially like if you suck enough to have the fourth pick, you're probably a terrible team. And OG and is probably not affecting your yeah future significantly. So like to me, that's just a no brainer. Um, and then the big, also, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say the big OB, OB, OG question is like, we saw him take on some, like this year and the end of the year before he had increased his usage and he had like mini breakouts of sorts. But if you, you know, we look at the totality of the season and you can gripe about like what kind of touches he got. And he, he is griping about what kind of touches he got. Um, but basically the specific breakout that everybody thought was going to happen or secondary breakout, whatever you're going to call about it, about self-creation that didn't happen. Like B-ball index, had some good numbers and um his isolation numbers were horrible horrible like an f rating and his, wow who could have predicted that wow i know right <laughs> and his pick and roll ball handler numbers were not like f but they were pretty bad and he was elite at the things we already knew he was elite at like play finishing um catch great catch and shoot shooter great um play finisher at the rim obviously his defense is good so you know you know he's a very useful two-way playoff player. It's just a question of, like, with the fourth pick, there's a non-insignificant chance that you could get someone more than that. And that's definitely, you know, not something to sleep on. So I don't, like, I don't, the people who are like, oh, you know, don't, like, I would trade, I would prefer OG and wouldn't blink. I'm assuming those people are are still of the belief that there's, self-creation upside that is not outlier for OG Ananobi, despite the fact that he hasn't shown any of that this season. Um, and I'm sure some people would be like, well, RJ's efficiency on his self-creation is also like not great, but I think the He's difference three is... Years young. He's three years younger. Yeah, I think that's the the main difference, not to mention like the usage is, is higher. Like, OG was trying this within an, with an environment that was much more conducive to doing that sort of stuff in theory than RJ was. Um, but that's that's actually a good self alley oop segue. Apparently, he he he's I don't I don't remember exactly what the Fisher article said. He didn't like ask out or anything like that. He just said yeah, he was I mean I think it's in like the role right. Yeah, disappointed in the role, but didn't ask out. Uh, what it says here is two sources with knowledge of the dynamic told uh, Bleacher Report that Ananobi has not directly expressed discontent with the situation with the Raptors. Um, perhaps the conversation around it has been driven more by external interest in acquiring the fifth year forward services. I mean, I think that's a very generous reading of the situation for OG, but like, I don't think that, that notion wouldn't just come out of nowhere. Uh, also, I think the most hilarious part of this article uh, was this. Dating back to the trade deadline, sources said, the Raptors have postured with opposing teams that all of their top six 
including Ananobi, Baron Siakam, Van Vliet, Gary Trent Jr., and Precious Achua, are untouched, are untouchable in trade conversations. But there's no um, fucking way. Pre- I, Precious is my son. I will fucking ship him for no less than 45 NBA players. Like, it just yeah. is what it is. Yeah. Although that, that sentence did pique my interest. How would you rank those guys as if, as if you were like Masai? Uh, Barnes would be one, obviously. Um, Siakam, Van Vliet, OG, Gary Trent Jr., Precious. Precious last man, SMH. I mean, would you take him over Gary? Like, I, in theory, what he can do is more valuable than Gary Trent Jr. I would be lying if I said I was watching a lot of the Raptors last year, but like Gary Trent Jr. is kind of just a known quantity. Like he is going to shoot forty percent from three no matter what the conditions are. Um I think his defense actually has improved a lot. Gary. Yeah, but yeah, his agreed. I mean he's like he's not passing the ball. That dude's never passing the ball. Um which is kind of hilarious to watch. But like just having Six six guy that can shoot and is competitive on defense and not like an easy pushover on switches or something. That's kind of I don't know. I, I would just Gary's legit. He's definitely yeah. legit. <laughs> just I'm, knowing I'm just... that, I would take him over, um, over Precious. But like, yeah, look, I I think it's it's interesting to kind of see how players react to different situations and it's, mm. and how they evolve and like like this is kind of why I think it's stupid to think and maybe it doesn't matter to you not saying you necessarily no I, I what you're about to say I had the exact same thought so yeah. because like I think it's easy to just be like well if the Knicks sign Jalen Brunson like Emmanuel quickly will still get 20 mm-hmm. minutes 25 minutes off the bench and he'll be happy and he should be happy and like, I think it's easy to just say that but if I'm him, like I've been saying this even before this article came out about OG and kind of made me think about it even more. Mm-hmm. But like, I, if I'm him, I'd be like, look, my first year, I outplayed Elf. I still had to come off the bench for this motherfucker. And you brought in Derek Rose, who was nominally the point guard over me. This year, you told me in the offseason to go work on my point guard skills. I come into the season, and you're still using me in the same exact role. Then Derrick Rose gets hurt, so I got to lead the second unit. I outplay the starter again by a mile, and instead of starting me, you start Alec fucking Burks, a point guard, who is not a point guard, and you start him the entire year without giving me a chance, and I kept my head down. I balled out the second half of the year. Like, I, I've shown improvement as a playmaker, as a, you know, being able to organize an offense and all this kind of shit. Like, if you are now paying Jalen Brunson four years, a hundred million, whatever the fuck it is to come in and start a point guard. Like, I'm sorry. Like I will keep saying this. If you do that, you are not, you're telling him you don't think he's your starting point guard. And like, we can all sit here and talk about, well, Fred Van Vliet and fucking Kyle Lowry. Like it's not the same thing, man. I'm sorry. It's not because we're not competing for a fucking championship. Are we like the Raptors competed? They were a highly competitive team when Van Vliet got there. It's a very different dynamic. The Knicks were in large part... Look, like, let's be real. For two years now, Quickly has been one of the most positive players in the team. 
most impactful, second most, whatever the fuck you want to say. He has had legit two-way impact, positive two-way impact since his fucking the start of his rookie year. That is rare. That is not common. Like whatever, like you know, we can debate which Nick has the highest ceiling. Most people would say RJ, which I don't think is. I mean, that's very reasonable. RJ still has not proven that he has two-way positive impact in his role, right? As a second option, first option, whatever the fuck it is. That's fine. I'm not really that worried about that. But like, that's just the reality. Quickly has shown he can play on, as an off-ball guard, as a point guard, whatever the fuck role they've... Both those roles that he's been given. And he can be a positive two-way player. So if you're telling him that, like, yeah, thanks for that, but like, we're going to go sign Jalen Brunson, and you're going to be you're the backup point guard. That's your role. Like, I don't know, man. If I was him, I'd be like, I might, you know, play the good soldier in public. But like, I mean, we saw what happened with Cam, right? Cam was quiet. He didn't. He didn't bitch his way out of Atlanta. He went to them apparently in the offseason and was like, "Hey, look, like, I don't think it's gonna happen for me here. Can you get me the fuck out?" And they handled it quietly, and he got traded. But like, I could totally see quickly being like, "Yeah, look, like, if if this is just not something that." you're interested in giving me the opportunity to do, you know, please look to move me. Like, I, I could see that happening. Is it the most likely scenario? Do I want it to happen? No, but, like... No, it could guys, 100% happen, yeah. especially if especially if there's no, like, you know, like, we've talked about this, like, where I've said, like, there's, there's scenarios where even with Brunson, IQ plays a lot, but if those ideal scenarios don't happen... Then IQ is well within his rights to just politely be like, "Hey, dude, like, yeah, I love the Knicks. I love you guys for drafting me, but like, every other game, I'm getting, you know, thirteen minutes, fifteen minutes, you know, just because I get twenty, twenty-five minutes once a week, that doesn't, that doesn't cut it anymore. So, you know, let's just part ways amicably and move on here. And, you know, like." This is Tibbs we're talking about, right? Like again, not the most creative coach. It's, it's not like some guarantee that he's gonna play them together or whatever as much as I want him to. So it's definitely something that if they acquire Brunson, unfortunately, whatever the front office's vision is in terms of acquiring talent, it could very easily end up being a situation where because of the coach they have, this guy ends up winning out and you lose a you have the potential to lose a talented player, not because he forces his way out, but because the combination of not having the opportunity and therefore not showing the back of the trading card numbers that you would need to keep him results in him being deprioritized further when it's time for negotiations. That's really what it comes down to because it's easy for you know, Aller and Leon to go to the table and be like, well, like you were like six, seven, man, you played 20 minutes. You were very good advanced stats, whatever, but we're not going to give you, we're not going to give you, you starter money, right? Like you don't start for us. In which mm-hmm. case quickly is like, all right, cool. Like you guys cost me a lot of money. I'm going to go somewhere else. No, but they're not going to give me starter money, but they're going to give me an opportunity. And then the next time around I'll get starter money. Right. So like I could see that. Yeah, and I mean, look, like, he's, I mean, him and he, he, the way he, I will say this, too, like, I think 
a lot of times we make a lot out of like, oh, he's all over the team and social media and that kind of shit. And I don't think just because quickly is like very marketable for the Knicks' social media team and all that kind of stuff that like he should be granted anything. But I also think like it's very odd to go out of their way to kind of like centralize him and Obi in a way that the the team has this year, like and the off season especially, like since the season ended. I don't know, man. Like I think it'd be very weird to to not give him a chance to start at this point. And not because like I want that, but like I just I don't know what signals you're sending. Like because I could see that just not like especially with how that's all played out now. If you then go out and sign Brunson, like I, I don't know if I'm him, I'm just be like, so you don't you're totally out on me. So like just move. I don't know. I, I it's it, ultimately like the the reality of the situation is the Knicks can't not get Brunson just to keep quickly happy. It needs to be the reason to not sign Brunson should be that he is like they truly believe that he is worth not upgrading that position, right? And is that a bet they're comfortable making? I don't know. I have no idea how to answer that. I am, but as we kind of talked about, uh, you know, with Raphael also, like it's easy to say that when you don't have any pressure on you. There's no, you don't, you don't have any skin in the game. Like I can sit here and say that, and it's easy. Because I can be like, well, look at his on-off numbers and his numbers with the starters were so good for two years. Like, it's a lot harder to just stick your neck out when you're Leon Rose and basically go into the season like, yeah, no, this guy who has started, you know, five games or whatever, a point guard, he's our starting point guard moving forward. Well, this is this is. is why it's so fucking stupid that when we're like hypothesizing till our fucking balls turn blue on this podcast that we have to consider the inflexibility of Tibbs, right? Like, you, we should be able to say, you know, the Knicks are going to go into the season with six guards and the two best guards are going to get the most minutes and the two best guards, by any fucking measure, would be Jalen Brunson and Emmanuel Quickly. Fournier would be third and Grimes would be fourth. And that would be that. Fournier and Grimes can also play minutes on the wing. It's not that fucking complicated in reality. Like, what like, like yeah, like yes. Quickly, if quickly could still be mad about all of this if Jalen Brunson still got thirty minutes of lead ball handler, right? Like, there's lots of ways like quickly could play and still be like slighted, which is all very reasonable. But it it we're not like what I'm asking. I'm not even gonna say we. What I'm asking for in terms of having Brunson and Quickly on the roster and just playing our best players is not fucking rocket science. It's insane. And as what it comes, it's insane that it feels like I'm asking for somebody to like cure cancer or some shit. It's, (laughs) it's ridiculous. Like we, we see lineup configurations that, you know, sometimes they're smaller, sometimes they're larger you know, in the playoffs all the fucking time, just depending on who guys have, right? It's the strength of your, are your ball handlers on the wings? Fine. Play bigger guards who can switch like Boston does or or whatever. Like if, if you have multiple guys 
who are small, but they happen to be really good at other stuff like Gary Payton Jr. and Jordan Poole, guess what? You can also play them with Steph Curry. That's okay. You can even play all three at the same time and still be a championship contender because Steph Curry is really good. You play your best players. Like, they, they, it just, it's just, I can't get over the fact that, like, like, it should be easy for Leon and the front office to say, hey, we're going to get Jalen Brunson. We're also prioritizing you guys. You know, we're also prioritizing you, Emmanuel. And you guys are going to be a killer backcourt and you're going to get crunch time minutes. And it is what it is. Like, Fournier is going to be in the mix too. But one of them is approaching 30 and the other one's approaching 22 or 23 or whatever. So, like, not that fucking hard. These guys are not that hard. If all it takes is moving Burks or Fournier, like, what are we really doing here? It's just just crazy to me. But um, to take it back to OG real quick, I guess the flip side of it for him, like, he was basically, I'm sure he viewed himself because of how both fans and the Raptors themselves treated him, giving him more responsibility, um, venerating him. You know, he had even... Writers of the Strickland, who will remain unnamed, Tyrese, were uh, very, very high on uh, on Ananobi's potential and, and his hierarchy in the the universe of rising NBA stars. And you know, all of a sudden, he's the old—he's not the new hotness anymore, right? Scotty Barnes is, and uh, the Raptors are really good, and you're not the best player on the court at any point in time. You're not even the second best player on the court at any point in time. Like, so, if are 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 you buying anything that OG's selling, or is it more like, yo, shut the fuck up and like go hoop? <laughs> uh, I don't buy anything with him. Uh, I tweeted out before the start of the year that I did not buy the. OG I mean, like this. I mean, like his sentiment, not like. Yeah, I mean, not, I understand yeah. the sentiment, but it's like, yeah. so you basically just want to be Jeremy Grant, which is fine. You want to be the best player on a bad team, but like. Let's be real. That's, Any that's what I'm. That's what I'm interested in. Because like that's to me is the that that was my first reaction upon reading this shit with with Fisher. I'm like, what? What the? F-? First of all, your team went from ass to extremely not extremely good, but to surprisingly good. Lots of players on your team's got a lot better. Like Scotty Barnes is incredible, and he's your teammate. Like, what you, you want? Fred VanVleet was fucking. Wasn't he? Was he an all star? Yeah, Fred Van was an all-star this yeah, year. Fred Van Fleet was a fucking all-star. And Scotty Barnes was maybe... What, he was rookie of the year? No. I forgot. Yeah, he was rookie of the year. Yeah, so, like, what the... What do you want, bro? Like, and Pascal well, I, is all NBA. <laughs> I mean, I think... That's crazy. I, I think me. for him, if I'm if I'm him, I'm trying to get into his head, what I would think is he signed that extension and... The idea was probably like, okay, Kawhi is gone, you know, Mark is gone, Kyle is probably going to leave in a year. I think when he signed it, Kyle was still there. So I'm like, this is going to be me and Pascal, right? Like, we're going to be the big three. Me, Pascal, and Fred Van Vliet are the big three. And then, you know, they fluke into this fourth overall pick, obviously, after a really random, terrible year. And Gary makes like, Whatever he makes, seventeen. Yeah. So he's not some fucking bum either. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I just think like if you're OG, he's probably like, well, you guys said you were gonna do this thing, and instead we've gone in this other direction. 
Yeah. Is that a good reason? Uh, not particularly, but I also, from just like an individual standpoint, I can kind of understand why he would feel that way. But like, if I'm the Raptors, I mean, I think they need to make a move anyway because mm-hmm. they're good. I just don't know. Like, I don't know how much OG really matters to them. Uh, I don't particularly think he should matter that much. And I also suspect that he's probably at the peak of his value right now in terms of that's the trade key. value. Because yeah. he's got three years left on this extension that's pretty cheap. It's like three years. It's million. a great deal. Yeah. He's still young. He's like 24 years old. So they're going he has the sheen of upside. Right. Exactly. And so, like, this is probably the right time to sell him or sell on him. So. If you can get that, like I, I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons to to trade him if you're Toronto, and less compelling reasons, although understandable, for why he'd want out. Are you ready for the NBA champs to be crowned? Join the finals action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any five dollar NBA bet and get one hundred and fifty dollars in free bets instantly. Looking to turn another small bet into a big payday during the NBA Finals? With a DraftKings same-game parlay, you can do just that. This NBA season, a customer placed a $5 same-game parlay and won over $5,000. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets, like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more. And boom, you have a shot at an even bigger payout. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make any $5 bet during the NBA Finals and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. As you're saying that, I I kind of think they're going to trade him now. Because I think they will. Yeah. Like this offseason, because you're right. Like They had a plan, and then something happened. And they have to change the plan, and that sucks for OG, but it is what it is. And, uh, you know, we talked about this earlier, but like players have different values in different situations, and his his importance to the Raptors. He's he's a great, he's a solid player. I was gonna say great player, but he's not like an all star or anything. He's a very good player, two way player, versatile, whatever. But. He's not the difference between this Raptors team like making the Eastern Conference Finals and not, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're the Blazers or the Jazz that are fucking have no defenders, let alone versatile defenders, and are trying to walk the line between competing now and you know, not just being a fucking nuclear crater after your star decides to possibly leave in a year or two or whatever, or just in Dame's case, you know, retires eventually. But like that's someone like him probably has tons of value, especially at his contract value. Like if you could throw someone like OG on that team, shore up some of the weaknesses of the team. And it's not like an Andre Roberson situation. Like we know OG can spot up well, finish well, like, you have a chance to, you know, it. it, it I mean, it's, it's 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 probably tough to deal with Masai in a negotiation, but like that's got to be an appealing kind of player to bring in. Obviously, you would prefer to bring in a star to compliment, you know, Dame or whatever. But if you can't do that, someone like OG is got to be a 
They got to be an appealing option. He is. Uh, I'm not sure that I would feel very confident about. I not. I'm not. You know what? I'll just say it. I would not give up the seventh pick for him. I think that's it's fucking insane. Um, like the other thing about OG. Oh, I, w- like, I wasn't even thinking that, but yeah, yeah. that makes sense. <laughs> but like, I, I mean, this is what it said in the article too. Um, that you know, it, it kind of hinted that they would want more than like it, it straight up says this. However, league personnel believe Toronto would require far more than Hart, Josh Hart, and the seventh pick to part with Ananobi, considered to be a darling of Raptors lead executive Masai Ujiri. I'm sorry, but if I can get Josh Hart and the seventh overall pick for OG Ananobi, I'm not hesitating. I'm running. I'm running to make that deal. Um, it's just like, what? Who are we talking? Like, who do people think OG Ananobi is? Like, who is he? He's a guy who can hit spot up threes and attack closeouts. Like that's valuable, and he's obviously a very skillful and uh, you know versatile defender. But like that is not a guy that I'm particularly. If I can get the seventh pick and Josh Hart, who is a good player in his own right, like I'm doing that. Do you think he's more really? valuable than Macau Bridges? Ochi? Yeah. Uh, I would argue that. No, you could that you could. I almost want to say yes, just because they're both shoot and attack closeouts. Mikhail gets the easiest shot diet in the league, and you know he. It's not like he cleared forty percent or anything. As much as I love him, and you know neither of them are having success off the dribble. And we saw in the playoffs, Mikhail's he's an All NBA defender, but. He struggles defending up a couple positions because he's, you know, ultimately he's he's a shooting guard with long arms. And OG's not super tall, but he's a little bulkier and probably a little more switchy upwards. So I wonder if, like, if you're talking value, what does McCown make? Like 20? Something like that? And Something like that, yeah. And OG, he he's probably worth more than his deal. But, I mean, he's obviously not some, like, max guy or anything close to that. But like probably something similar, I would that I would put I would peg him for his value. Yeah, I mean, I think to me, it's like if you took OG over McCall, I wouldn't hate that. But mm-hmm. McCall always plays. I don't think he's missed yeah, a game in his career. That's a great point. Uh, and if neither is capable of being like a top three shot creator. Then just give me the guy who is healthy and knocks down threes and plays solid defense. Like I don't know. Like I yeah no that's huge. I totally forgot how many games. Like I don't have the. I'd be curious to see what the percentage number is for just games. I'm just I pulled up. I think page. I think over the last two years, forty yeah, over the last yeah, <laughs> over the last two years, he's missed I think thirty five percent of available games. Yeah, that's um, a huge amount. Yeah, that's a lot and. He's got an injury history going back to college. college yeah. So I just wonder, like, I don't know. To me, this is a guy that could very easily be a lot injured. better in theory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, I don't know. I, I'm not super bullish on OG Ananobi. And I never have been. And you've talked about that with other guys, too. So it's not pure OG hatred. Like, we've talked about that with Malcolm and uh, Malcolm Brogdon and, and some other guys who are talented. But yeah, you got to be on the floor. floor. I mean, like, that's kind of what so far, knock on wood, 
has been the best part of like some of the young guys the Knicks have drafted. Um, in particular, RJ, OB, the and... post Roger Hines era of Knicks physical <laughs> training, where it's not just like slap a band aid and a headband on every injury. <laughs> but yeah, like IQ, OB, and RJ, all three of those guys have been pretty durable. Um, I'd even say Jericho is everyone except Mitch, pretty durable. much. I mean, Grimes had some injuries this year, so we'll see. I mean, I'm not that worried about it because it just seemed like a knee injury that was pretty random. And then, and Frank's just, groin back in the day. Yeah, Frank's groin. But he's not here anymore. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, look, uh, you know, we, uh, we've got whew, 200 episodes in the books. And so, you know, we figured this would be a good time for us to go back and look at some of our. Worst takes. Um, so I'm going to start off, and I will uh, suggest uh, one of my takes from the start of this year, which was that uh, the Knicks would be top 10 in offense and defense uh, come the end of the season. Uh, they very famously basically lived up to the defense part of that, uh, but the offense did not progress as hoped. They were uh, top actually... 10 in both for like five games. Yeah, they were. They started off the season very nice. <laughs> that second game in, about it. <laughs> that second game in Orlando was, uh, did them a lot of help. But like, I, I mean, look, this take was obviously aged terribly. And what I think is true is like, I was clearly wrong about the offense because even if Julius had maintained his efficiency from the year before, that still probably isn't enough to make that a top 10 offense, even with the overall improvement from the rest of the roster. Um, because the Knicks effectively finished with the same offensive rating both seasons, um, which I have used previously as a reason of like, hey, look, like I think the Knicks actually do have pretty good supporting talent, and these guys did live up to their end of the bargain. Julius just didn't do his part. But like, even if he did his part, that's probably an average offense in the NBA. So, you know, I, I definitely overshot how much the improvement of young players and the free agent additions would juice the Knicks' roster. Um, and also, like, obviously Kemba was completely shot. So, yeah. Uh, that's a good one. I'm trying to think of my, like, worst whiff from this past season. Um I mean, I, I had the same team-wide optimism. You know, I I thought we would be a, a fourth seed at least again, which is basically derived from the same logic that you just articulated about our offense and defense. Well, I think Julius I think, wasn't gonna. Yeah, I think in general too, we really all of us, me included, I think we really underrated how much having two bad defenders in the backcourt with Kemba and Fournier would yeah. trickle down and hurt the defense. I I definitely did not account for it properly. Yeah, you can you can it, it it is it's stunning and both obvious how a good defense can can maintain its like integrity with one bad defender but not with two. It seems like silly to say that out loud, but like 
you know, early on, it's like, well, like, if you stagger the minutes and da da and we got the strong front and the back front court to clean up, and Tibbs is dead, you know, it's he's, it's a lot easier, and, you know, even last season, um, there's a lot of times that Elf was our worst defender, and fuck Elf. But him and his wor- at his worst, like, is still six foot four <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> right? Unlike Kemba. So it's, it's a different league um, of bad defense, to be honest. If both are not giving effort, one at least is large and tries to get steals. So, uh, yeah, that's probably up there for me. Um, I mean, I told everybody Obi would shoot. And this guy was hitting the side of the backboard. He probably broke the record for most air balls in most directions <laughs> in one season. So that's probably – I know he kind of got it together at the end of the season and he tweaked his form. But on the whole, as far as Prez-specific predictions go, that's a big old whiff. Um, I have some – some really bad ones. Uh, in 2020, uh, my number one prospect was Killian Hayes in the draft. So that one age... I mean, this entire draft is actually kind of hilarious. Uh, I had Hayes one. I had... I had Poku six in tier two. I had Kira Lewis eight in tier two. I had Grant Riller... <laughs> 12th in tier two. Thanks. Yes, thank that you one's press. on me. That one's on me. <laughs> <laughs> that one's on me. That's clearly my biggest, like, draft or otherwise, my biggest <laughs> just gigantic fart noise flush. Well, oh, mine is definitely not even. It's 2019. It was Culver. I was so fucking wrong about it. I mean, I was. I had Culver and Clark in my top four. And John Morant fifth. Like, Clark still. Start, Clark is still, like, Good enough. Culver is going to be out of the league. Clark is actually a rotation like playoff player. <laughs> yeah, and I mean that draft. Actually, if you look back at it, it hasn't actually been that great. Like, mm-hmm. especially after the top five. I mean, the best player after that is what Cam Johnson. Let's see. I guess Hero. Hero is probably the best player after that. Yeah, I mean, or Grant Bain, Williams. Bain. Like, <laughs> but like, but like. It's just like weird because from like five, which is Garland, until the Clark pick, which is twenty one, the best players are Hero, Cam Johnson, PJ Washington. Uh, I know that some people really love Tybal. I think Tybal stinks, um, so I would not put him in there. But like then you have all of a sudden, then you get. Clark at 21, Grant Williams at 22, Jordan Poole at 28, Keldon Johnson at 29, Kevin Porter Jr. at 30, Nick Claxton at 31. So, like, all those... Where the, was Maxi? Maxi was the year after. That was 2020. Oh, I'm, I'm looking yeah. at the wrong fucking spreadsheet. And then, right. and then even in the second round, you have, like... That's a hell of a run right there that you just yeah. named off. Yeah, and then in the second round, you actually have some decent guys, like Cody Martin, uh... Daniel Gafford at 38, you know, Taylor Horton Tucker, who has become a meme, but like for the 46th pick in the draft, pretty solid. Outcome. He'd probably be useful on a team that wasn't a fucking tire fire. Yeah. I mean, he'd be useful on a team that didn't need him to be like an all-star right now. So they could Kobe. be Bryant. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> be Kobe. Uh, I can't. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's like a 
it ends up being a pretty solid draft, but there's like a big gap in the middle where it's just a bunch of like Nikhil Alexander Walker. And it's like, who cares about fucking Nikhil Alexander Walker? Um, Danny Ainge. Yeah, right. But there's actually even like some, <laughs> even some of the undrafted guys from this year are pretty interesting. Um, like you have, hold on, what's his name? John, O'Shea Brissett. Yeah, O'Shea Brissett, John Conkar. Moses Conchar. Brown. Yeah, like it's it's not like Lou, bad. Lou Dort. Yeah. So Nas Reed. Nas Reed was undrafted. Nas Reed, my son. Max, that was crazy. I remember yeah. your your son, Max Struess. Yeah. Max Struess, my son. Is that, so like, it ends up being a pretty solid draft. But yeah, I mean, look. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, fucking. I had Culver number two, and I was like defending that with my honor. So definitely <laughs> one of my worst takes. Uh, probably one of my other worst takes was saying that Kevin Knox would establish himself as a solid rotation player in before the 2020-2021 season, which uh, did not go according to plan. Uh, Kevin Knox did not establish himself as a rotation player. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure I, I wasn't even a big Knox fan, but I, I'm, I'm sure I was defending him, hoping for him to clear that minimal bar. I don't even think that's a bad take. PD was on our pod talking about, like, there's a rotation player there that should be the outcome, even if he was drafted too high, and this motherfucker is not even a rotation player. So I wouldn't be, honestly, too hard on on yourself for that one. Um, I mean, my, my draft whiffs are pretty well chronicled at the point. Riller is like a meme, <laughs> but beyond that, like, you can go all the way back to when I started doing this um, in the Kristaps draft. That was really when I got into it. And uh, uh, Kristaps was the guy I wanted at the Knicks pick with the other guys off the board ahead of him. But the guy I wanted after that was Moutier, and he's out of the league. He's really bad. <laughs> and it's not even just, you know, I always tell people, like, oh, we should talk about, you know, not just whether you hit or, or whiffed, but why. And my why was the stupidest shit ever. Um, you know, Raphael talked about letting other people get convince you out of what your eyes were telling you. And, and I did that with Moutier where everybody was like, oh, he's like John Wall. He's like John Wall. He's like John Wall. And I would watch him and I'd be like, this guy's not that fast. He's actually not fast at all. Mm-hmm. And then I'd be like, nah, I must be watching him wrong. <laughs> <laughs> which is like a ridiculous sentence to say out loud like nah dude he's just not fast <laughs> so Moutier was bad um, obviously Riller Culver um, although I, I, I maintain to this day I don't think I don't feel bad I don't put Culver in the same whiff category uh, as Moutier and Riller because of the why his, his shot and confidence don't have like zero tier outcomes then at worst he's like a whatever six foot seven strong two-way dribble pass shoot guy but instead he's gonna be fucking playing in like with Dante Exum in Spain at some point so it is what it is yeah it's it's like you know you do this long enough uh you're gonna have some awful awful takes and i think it's better to just own them oh, yeah. uh so I've, i i i want to say my worst take this is actually my worst take i've had somebody tweet this at me and it's actually pretty funny my worst take is that there was no way 
the Julius Randle extension would be a problem for the Knicks. Um, because even if he regressed, he's still a good player and that contract isn't that cheap. And like, I guess it's weird because I don't think that contract is impossible to move or anything. I don't think that's a worse take at all. But it has definitely not aged well. I mean, don't speak in absolutes is the lesson learned. But aside from that, like... <laughs> Like don't don't be on Twitter to talk about there's zero percent chance and if you disagree with me you're a fucktard like don't say that <laughs> but like re- like the actual message behind that tweet was like it's highly unlikely that this will be a problem of a contract and well, I, lo and I, behold I, we, right. we 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 found we, the one reality where it's a problem <laughs> yeah yeah I mean I was joking with you before but to me your worst takes slash your best takes are the ones where you've like changed your affinity for a guy over like the course of 500 days of any given like couple year span and in no particular order you've done that i'm pretty sure with devin booker (laughs) with trey with ben simmons with Giannis. no with ben simmons twice which is somehow more impressive (laughs) uh <laughs> like just flipping back and forth. Um, he's a confusing player. He's a confusing, confusing player. Those are the main guys who stand out, but I'm sure there's more that you fucking flip flopped on. Um, it's hard though. Once once I turn on you, it's hard to. Kyle Lowry was one. Is it I though? Because you always do that shit, so it can't be that hard. <laughs> but Kyle Lowry was one uh, before he won a, before they won the championship. I was like very much. Uh, I'm sure if you search my handle and Kyle Lowry, you'll find a lot of like <laughs> a lot of nonsense. You'll find a lot of like Kyle Lowry's a fucking loser and shit like that. And then all of a sudden in 2019, you'll start seeing like Kyle Lowry, what a winning player dude. The, the, the box score doesn't capture his value. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think, um, you know, the moral of the story is definitely don't, don't listen to me when it comes to, uh, anything about basketball actually uh, i i don't know i, I no, think i have your biggest w though Let, just because it's the 200th episode and we want to celebrate not just the l's <laughs> but the dubs the biggest w will always matter of fact this is also my biggest l so look at that two birds with one stone that's podcast synergy right there is <laughs> none other than Sir Robert Portis, <laughs> the one and only Nick Legend. Because I, you want to talk about Twitter, Twitter handle searches. You search, search my Twitter handle of Bobby Portis, dude. There's probably all types of absolutes. Like, what? Are you fucking kidding me? He's the most he'd be out of the league or whatever. <laughs> this guy's contributing on like a finals team, like a six man. Are you kidding me? Yeah, and, no. And the nature yeah. of your. Because you specifically called the scenario in which he would be useful, which is like a defense where he can use his physicality, but he doesn't have to protect the rim, and an offense where he doesn't get to take like six jump hooks per game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I th- I always thought with Bobby that, like, I, and I, he drove me nuts on the Knicks, to be clear. Yeah, like yeah, he yeah. he was. I, if you search Portis in my name, like you'll see a bunch of tweets that are like, "Get this fucking guy off the team! I can't stand him." But what was obvious was like, like you're six. What is he? Like he's like six ten, six eleven, or whatever. He shoots the ball pretty well for a big guy. 
he has decent touch around the basket. Not amazing or anything, but he's got like decent touch around the basket. He's not a zero if you run him off the line. Like he can create a shot for himself. And he tried. Like he competed. He just wasn't a good defender. And he's still not a very good defender. But he tries, which goes a long way. And I was just like, look, like maybe it's not here for him, but this is a guy that like I mean I actually did kind of nail this. I was like, I I, I actually was a little bit slow because I was like I think in, in I think my guess was like in two years he'd be a solid rotation piece somewhere. He ended up being a fucking solid rotation piece for an NBA champion the next year. But like, it was just like obvious to me that there was, it was easy to see how he could scale his roll down and fit on a more competitive team where he had less, where he kind of had to buy into a much more strict um, role for himself. So like, and yeah, look, like my going to Milwaukee was perfect for him. Like. Giannis is very uniquely um, skilled and sized to like minimize his weaknesses on defense. But yeah, the Portis one is definitely like one of my random very good hits. Uh, I don't think many people had Bobby Portis valuable uh, contributor on a title contender on their bingo card. NBA champion Bobby Portis. <laughs> valuable or not, that was not on anyone's bingo card. Yeah, I mean, I think your biggest hits probably was... I mean, we'll see, but, like, feels like Grimes has the chance. Grimes, yeah, he... he I think I had him... I, I, had, I, I had him in a tier, and, like, so the number probably doesn't do justice to, like, how high I was. I think the number numerically was, like, 19 or 18 or 20 or something, but, like... It was like a tier that went all the way to like thirteen or something. So, yeah, and I, I didn't even—I wasn't even up on Houston. That was the craziest part until like I did all my homework late, so to speak. I was cramming before the test. He was he, like, he was a combine riser, so he killed people on the combine scrimmages. And I was like, oh shit, who's this motherfucker? Because for people who don't know, like, I love doing draft stuff, but. I'm also not trying to become a scout, so I am also lazy, lazier than the people who are like <laughs> literally watching four or five, ten games of each prospect, jotting down notes systematically, which is what they do. Like people are about that life on here on Twitter who are not professional scouts. And my kind of general approach is like, I'm willing to spend a lot of time on this. But a big part of that time is finding shortcuts because I'm not about that life. And I, one of those shortcuts is like in the past, if a, if, if a player is projected to go not in the Knicks range, I don't watch them as much because all I care about is doing this from the Knicks perspective. And Grimes was not on the radar. And then he did that. And I was like, let me look at his basketball reference page. And it was like 15 threes per 140%. And I was like, what the? fuck is this guy <laughs> and he used to be a five-star point guard like what a weird fascinating player and and he's a lockup defender like what what's going on here this this doesn't seem like a second round pick like <laughs> i actually i know exactly what my worst my absolute worst take is i'm almost positive i don't know <laughs> if i could find it i openly was like i think after maybe preseason and like our first couple of games in the NBA, I was like, I don't think I would trade Alonzo Trier for a first round pick at this point. 
Yeah, dog, and, that's got to be your worst. <laughs> and and within like two months, it was just like, yeah, so get this fucking guy out of New York. I can't have him here anymore. Oh, man. How, how time works against us. Uh, all right. Look, this has been fun. We've been doing this now for like two hours and 45 minutes or some shit. So I think this is a good place to end it unless there's anything else that you wanted to mention, anything stupid or great that you have brought up. Yeah, I'll just say like 200 episodes, you know, you mentioned it at the top. It's really a testament to the community of insane Knicks fans who care about this shit, especially paying for it, which is mind-blowing to me. Um, We started this in the pandemic. Uh... For people who don't know, like, I used to do a little bit of draft writing on posting and toasting, and we decided to start the Strickland um, before the pandemic, and the pandemic happened, and I lost my pops in the very beginning of the pandemic during the exact time when we were starting the Strickland, because we were aligning it to start with the draft cycle, and this was the draft cycle that ended up being, like, eight months because of the pandemic, so... I like dealt with that grief through the Strickland's draft stuff. And even like that alone was like the most rewarding thing the website could have provided me just in terms of an outlet to do something fun and have something to do with my time that was positive and productive that people appreciated. But even then, like if you would have told me, Oh yeah, just keep, just wait a little bit, and then people are gonna pay money to listen to your shit. I, I would have been like, <laughs> "Fuck out of my face, bro!" <laughs> so uh, this is like, this is pretty cool. Like, I even tell my wife, who doesn't give a fuck about this, and she's like, "Yo, that's just pretty impressive, dog. You just pat yourself on the back." So I'm, I'm happy we made it, and uh, you know, another couple hundred on deck, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully, uh, yeah, man, it's, uh, it's been fun. I. Uh... Yeah, when we launched the site, that was, like, right after one of my uh, really good friends passed away. And so it might have been, like, right then, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so it helped a lot uh, in a weird way. And, yeah, I mean, it is a good outlet. And, like, you know, um, it's just, uh, it's been, it's, it's like, I remember thinking when Seth started P&P, and I think I, like, even might have told him this once before but i was like it must be pretty cool that like you've started something that you know like pnt is just always going to exist right like it's it's always going to exist and i don't know we've gotten to a point yet where you know when we move on with our lives and maybe don't dedicate so much of our lives to talking about the knicks um that like this will still go on i'm not sure we'll see but like to have created something that has lasted this long is pretty fun. So, um, you shout know, out to Seth. yes, shout out to Seth, <laughs> the blog father. Uh, yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, man, it's been fun doing this with you and, uh, looking forward to many more two hour and 45 minute episodes. Yeah. Hopefully we never do this again. I'm about to like die and pass out, bro. <laughs> yeah. Same. All right. Uh, plug anything you'd like to plug and let people know where they can find you. Uh, I just wrote a piece um, on Johnny Davis and Malachi Branham and stats and the draft and projections. Um, It's not a long piece for once, so you should go check it out.
And you can find me at underscore Presidente. Awesome. Uh, I have nothing to plug myself, so I'm just going to plug all the wonderful draft stuff that you guys have put out. Uh, I would recommend listening in on Prez and Chuck from Chucking Darts. They're two-part 17-hour pod that was really good. <laughs> yeah, uh, Chuck. Yeah, and uh, just all the other content. So I uh, hope everybody has a great weekend. And I'll see you on Monday. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. Yeah, it's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallin' drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallin' wherever you get your podcasts.